You are listening to the Boundless Vancouver Sermon Podcast Series. We pray you experience the deep life and wide love that God has for you today. Hi there, and welcome. My name is Brad Marsh, and I will be speaking today from Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1 to 29. If you are unfamiliar with this text, please take a moment to read it now. Up until this point in our sermon series, we have been thinking and looking at how Jesus has been revealing himself as the king of creation, as the king and lord of Israel. Some have missed him, some have seen him, and recognized him for who he is. We have seen Jesus move from sea to synagogue, from synagogue to household, from household back to the sea. Up until now, Jesus has been among every group of people we might conceive of. He's been among the working class and the elite. He's been among the religious as well as the most desperate sinners of the society. He is both in the public and in the private sphere. I think that Mark wants us to notice that Jesus' presence is pervasive. There is nowhere that is off limits to him, nowhere where he thinks, I'm not going to go there. Nowhere that is, uh, nowhere that prevents him from entering, nowhere that he wishes not to enter. And so in our text today, we have two scenes. One is the synagogue, full of the religious committed or the religiously fervent people. These people are deeply committed and embedded in their beliefs. They have their accepted facts. We can think about this scene as any religious institution where knowledge and truth are derived and formed from uh, a way of thinking that people come together around. And we have another scene, though. A scene of 12 simple men gathered around Jesus. They, in contrast to the religious elite with their complex institution, are simple children. They rely not on any structure when coming to Jesus, but rely on him and him alone. These two scenes illustrate, one, the synagogue, a complex social cohesion where everything is considered in reference to what is held to be common knowledge. For these synagogue leaders, the history of Israel has become so important to them that it has become the main object of their religious desires. But in the second scene, we see a group of untrained, cast-out individuals, fishermen or tax collectors, come together around Jesus. Now, both of these groups hinge, or the existence of both of these groups, hinges on questions that are formulated uh, in our text. The three are this. In speaking of Jesus, the religious leaders in the synagogue of Nazareth ask, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? And what are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? Those who thought that they were on the inside of God's redemptive plan in the synagogue, 
find that in fact they're on the outside. Will those who are considered outcasts and far off from God's redemptive plan find the extraordinary gift and power of God that they have actually been accepted and welcomed in? So these two scenes set up a warning to us first. To be socially and religiously in, regardless of what society or religion or group you belong to, is to risk being spiritually and eternally out of God's restoration and God's plan to redeem all things. So let us first look at this warning, Jesus' encounter with the synagogue, specifically the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. This is not the first time Jesus has entered a synagogue, as you can find out if you've read 1 through 6, or you've been tracking with us. He has been rejected at all of the other ones for a variety of things, and here again he is rejected, but not because of something he does, but because of how the synagogue officials can track who he is, where he comes from. Now Luke tells us a little bit about what might have happened in this instance. We can read in Luke 4, 24-30, about the account of what maybe Jesus might have said. He begins by telling them that a prophet is not accepted in their hometown, and then goes on to share about how in the days of Elisha and Elisha, many, or there were only two events, only two healings that took place. One um, was Zephareth, or Zephareth. Uh, in the land of Sidon, uh, to the woman who was a widow. And the other was uh, when Elisha went uh, and healed Naaman, a Syrian. And when they heard this rebuke from Jesus, when Jesus framed his coming to his own temple as being similar um, to the prophetic witness of these two prophets, they drove him out and brought him to the bow of a hill on which to throw him off. He so infuriated the synagogue and the congregation by comparing them to faithless Israel, who did not receive from the prophets any healing, but really only bad news. This is the context in which Mark is telling us that the people of the synagogue reject him. To the question... Where did this man get these things, this wisdom, this miraculous healing? They have an answer already prepared. Mark tells us in the next sentence. It is not the carpenter, the son of, or is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. For they were right in one sense. These were indeed social attributes of Jesus. You could look at Jesus and say, we know his profession. We know his family members. We know his place of birth. And yet these pictures do not tell us the full story of who he is. The answer conveys the religious leaders trivializing Jesus to only his human connectivity. And so David Garland writes, their familiarity with Jesus is their hindrance to knowing him truly. 
Therefore, it makes it all the more hard for them to see him through the veil of his ordinariness. They see his origins, his source of being as merely and only local. And as we already know, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Here's the final failure of the synagogue and the society of Nazareth. They confine Jesus to being only materially defined. Uh, only defined on a human basis. They miss that Jesus cannot only be understood, or not merely be understood by his social situatedness, but rather he must be understood for who he reveals himself to be. Jesus, in other words, does not fit into their understanding, in their limited understanding, of the world. To domesticate Jesus, therefore, is to try to fit him into our complex social system and not allow him to determine who he is on his own ground of being. And so we read in Mark 6, 5 through 6, and he, Jesus, could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, just like the prophets previously mentioned, and healed them. And he, Jesus, marveled at their unbelief. He marveled at how far they would go to deny him his true identity or to deny to themselves who he truly was. That's scene one, the complex religious structure that prevents us from uh, receiving Jesus as he is. Second scene, to be in Christ is to risk being out of the categories available to us in our society. So when we ask the question of, in this scene of these 12 disciples coming around Jesus, how do they answer the question of where this man, Jesus, gets this authority, this power? And we can say that the disciples understand that Jesus does not get any of this power from any human source but rather that he is himself, at least at this point, channeling a divine power, a divine source. And so he called the twelve and began to send them out. This calling shows the obedience of the twelve in trusting the revelation of God, in trusting the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he sends them out and charges them to take nothing on their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics, or not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed to the people that they should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil, And many who were sick were healed. So Jesus calls 12 disciples, simple, basic people. And they first submit to him by coming to him. In contrast to the religious system of scene one, they come to him willingly with nothing else but a simple call of obedience. And he, in response to that call or that obedience, sends them out to do four things. 
to preach repentance, to preach the gospel, that all people would come to him, to cast out demons, to remove that which should not be there in the world, to heal the sick and to anoint them with oil. In contrast to this uh, Galilean or this um, Nazarite, the synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus not only is able to perform miracles with his 12 disciples, but enables them to perform miracles as well. Jesus calls these disciples to participate with him and trust him. And so he calls them to take nothing with them except a staff, sandals, and one tunic. In contrast to the rich, social-ordered life of a well-connected and established community, Jesus sends his disciples out with almost nothing but dependence on him. So he sends them on a mission of trust in the goodness of God to work through individuals. And this mission would be acceptable and um, successful because God was working and moving with them. There is, of course, a warning that the disciples may encounter places where they're not accepted people's homes where they're not welcomed in. And yet, Jesus calls them to himself and sends them out and says, when you are not accepted in wherever you go, in whatever place you enter, kick off the dust of that place and carry on. But when you are accepted into a home, stay there as long as you would like. So here are our two scenes. Two radically different scenes, two radically different approaches to understanding who Jesus is. One of them is a religious social structure full of complexity, nuance, and social um, truth and acceptable um, categories of knowledge. The other, a scene of 12 men, kind of uncategorized individuals, trusting not their own wisdom or knowledge of the world, or the provided social categories available to them, be it religious or secular, but obeying the call of Jesus. In our world today, there's lots of options of things to trust in. Lots of institutions, lots of groups, lots of different um, identity markers that we could well find some security in, and some of that might be a good thing. And yet, what Jesus as king is asking us to do is to trust him as an individual person, to come to him as a unique individual and bring everything we have and say, I have come to you because I heard your call. And so I would ask and pray for myself and for you that we would be so caught up in the love that God has for us, that we would hear him calling us as children, saying, come to the Father. And then when we've come to him, that we would be listening and attentive to where he wishes to send us out into the world. We notice here in this text, if we keep reading on, that Jesus not once more enters into a religious synagogue. It is, it is a sign of accepting their decision, their decision to say, we know who you are in Jesus. We know who your human relations are. We know where your power comes from. 
and so he does not enter there anymore. Would our hearts be not like the synagogues, but rather like a child, open always to what God is wanting to do in our hearts? Thanks for listening to the Boundless Vancouver Sermon Podcast. For more messages and contact us, please head to our website, byvr.life.